Temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me up when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Great America Podcast with Lou Dobbs, always in the fight for truth, justice, and yes, our American way of life. And now, here he is, the Peabody award-winning voice of truth, the great Lou Dobbs. Welcome to the Great America Show, everybody. A lot to take up today. We'll be talking with one of the brightest young Republican stars in all of Congress. He's Congressman Matt Gates of the 1st District in the great state of Florida. He sits on the Armed Services Committee and Judiciary Committee, also one of the most outspoken Republicans, a devout, energetic supporter of President Donald Trump, whether during the two fraudulent, baseless, radical Dem efforts to impeach the 45th president or the Russian hoax and the almost two-year investigation by the special counsel. And if you're counting all of that resulting in absolutely nothing or just standing by the president went on stage with him while both were campaigning. Gates work in Congress has centered on national security, on veterans affairs. Congressman Gates is a great American and also, as do most outspoken advocates for America first, he has, well, he has a few detractors. He also has his own podcast. It's called Firebrand gotta love that brand we'll take it all up here with congressman matt gates and welcome to the great america show congressman great to have you with us thanks so much lou great to be with you uh, we got a lot on the agenda you know the uh, the republicans in congress have always looked to you to kind of set the course uh, you know whether it was on money line or lou dobbs tonight or now the great america show you know we've got an obligation to make sure that we win but that we're also worthy of that victory yeah, well put. And uh, the Republican Party is always, it seems, struggling with the uh, with responses and reactions to the radical Dems. Very seldom are the Republicans, uh, absent uh, Donald Trump, capable of taking initiatives to the Democrats. But uh, one hopes that that will change and hope uh, it changes with the 22 uh, uh, midterm elections. Let's get to the Democrats and, and sort of go down what has become a, uh, a, a battle plan that is obvious on the part of the Democrats. That is the January 6th committee, uh, as uh, Speaker Pelosi styled it. Uh, I mean, it almost sounds like something out of uh, Stalinist uh, Soviet Union. I was going to say Russia, but Soviet Union style tactics. Uh, and and to not permit uh, the, the minority leader of the Republican Party to, uh, in the House to put the, uh, his own uh, representatives on that uh, on that committee. And instead, uh, the speaker handpicks uh, Liz Cheney. You know, I, I can't even say his name. I'm not going to say his name because I find him contemptuous beyond belief. But let's put it this way. Two ultra rhinos. Your thoughts about the way the January 6th committee has been constructed? Well, the American people don't need the January 6th committee. Uh, 
They don't need the January 6th committee to answer any pressing question in their lives, to resolve any challenge that's facing them in their kitchen table economics. It doesn't help America in the world. It actually makes us look quite ridiculous, frankly. It, you know, you're charitable to say it makes us look like the Soviet Union. I think it looks more like these third world countries where when dictators roll in, they have the truth and reconciliation commissions that exist largely to purge a society of people who don't agree with the ruling class. But you see, Lou, the Democrats need the January 6th committee more than anything right now. They've essentially shut down their legislative agenda. The foolish, that you, call, you would call it an infrastructure bill if there was any real significant infrastructure in it, but it's really just a social spending bill. Uh, that legislation was not popular. It resulted in no boost for a single congressional Democrat, particularly those on the front lines uh, of their razor thin uh, and, and in many cases illegitimate majority. Um, so they're going to spend the next year focusing exclusively on Republicans as a danger to society. You see, they don't want to debate us on trade or on a focused foreign policy or on taxes or the regulatory environment. They certainly don't want to debate us on immigration right now. So their pitch to America is that Republicans are a danger to the democracy when, you know, they always accuse us of the stuff they're doing. You know, they, they attack us for harming America's institutions. The number one institution in the American economy is the dollar, and they're crushing it. They say that we are a threat to democracy when they changed the rules before the last election in order to have the, the mailbox beat the ballot box. And, and so I think that this is an act of necessity for the Democrats to focus on January 6th. And while we certainly have to make arguments for people's civil rights and civil liberties uh, in the broadest sense, uh, I think that we should not follow them down this rabbit hole forever, because I guarantee you, Lou, when you know, most Americans wake up, January 6th is the last thing they're thinking about. They're thinking about the harm to their lives caused by these Democrat policies. It gives them another opportunity to add to the Russia hoax, to add to the special counsel, to add to two bases, baseless, fraudulent impeachment of Donald Trump to continue to harass and harangue and persecute Donald Trump. And so that's what they're doing. Uh, the Republican Party, as usual, is being timid, uh, almost uh, passive uh, in response. There's not a cry uh, from the from the Capitol uh, in opposition. It's really stunning stuff, as if uh, you know this is just the Democrats being Democrats. Well, the Democrats basically neutralized the 45th president of the United States with their tactics. Uh, they could have done, done far worse. They could have successfully overthrown his presidency, which, as you know, is what they were trying to do. But at some mm -hmm. point, the GOP, don't you think, has to say, we're not going to put up with this crap any longer. And we're going to quit being country club Republicans. And we're really going to get down. And as President uh, Trump uh, taught, we're going to win. I mean, he was the first president to talk openly and honestly about winning. And I have to tell you, there's a one year void here that I really that really bothers me and millions of Americans. And that's Republicans talking about winning and how they're going to do it. Uh, 
And and so now there's the January 6th committee. They're investigating you. Uh, I mean, it goes on and on. Where does it stop? Well, I think that they are really doing great damage to our country. But you zeroed in on the right on the right point, and that is the tactical patterns that we see from Democrats that actually run through the Russia hoax, the phony Ukraine sequel to the Russia hoax, uh, and even to this very moment about January 6th. You see, what they do is they secretly try to gather quote unquote evidence, and then they leak things out of context to try to build a narrative with a media that is all too willing to do their bidding. You'll remember during the Ukraine endeavor, Adam Schiff was down in his bunker, and then every day they would leak some statement, and it looked like President Trump had done something wrong when we all knew that he was standing up for the American taxpayer in Ukraine and everywhere in the world, and against the corruption that makes our nation look bad, embodied by the Bidens. And so I led 50 Republicans down into that star chamber, down into that Adam Schiff bunker, and we jailbroke the truth. We said, no, no more of this. This is not happening. If you want to put a case together, you're going to have to do it above ground in the light of day. And when they had to do that, we all saw that it was a house of cards. The challenge now, Lou, just to be candid, is that those of us who are uh, trying to highlight these terrible injustices from the Democrats are too few in number. Now, I've got Marjorie Taylor Greene and the great Louis Gohmert and uh, Bob Good and you know, Andy Biggs and a few others, frankly, the, the lineup from Lou Dobbs tonight is pretty reliable in these fights, but we need to grow our legion. You know, we need dozens, we need hundreds of Republicans uh, that are willing to push back with a direct action. You see, our, our voters don't just elect us to Congress to go and vote yes or no on endeavors and maybe give a speech every once in a while. We are their representatives in the government. And that's why I'm trying to work hard recruiting candidates right now for the midterms that won't just put an R behind their name and stare at their nameplate and, you know, wander around a bunch of special interest money and lobbyist money to the leadership. I want people who will actually fight these battles. And on January 6th, Lou, you know what the key battle is? The involvement of our own federal government. Now, I would encourage your listeners to check out revolver.news. There is explosive reporting there about you know, the, the probability of federal assets uh, actually animating the violence on January 6th. And what's so confusing to me is when we ask the attorney general, when we ask the FBI director, just basic, straightforward questions. Did you have assets or agents that were, on, that were a part of this event on January 6th? And if you did, did they animate or increase the acuity of violence? And we get a whole lot of bureaucratic nonsense answers to that. Now, when you and I saw the FBI and the Department of Justice doing corrupt things during Republican control, you were on TV every night saying, where are the subpoenas? Where is the oversight? And you and I both know that Paul Ryan and Trey Gowdy would not authorize one single subpoena, not one, when they were trying to destroy President Trump in the Russia hoax. And so I'm now pressing Kevin McCarthy and others in Republican leadership, I want a commitment that we are going to conduct the most rigorous oversight. And, and you know, you talk about the president, uh, President Trump's focus on winning and what we're going to do with a majority. Here's my vision, Lou, and feel free to critique it. We convert every single committee in Congress 
to an oversight committee. And if you want to be a committee chairman, don't come talking about how much money you raise or what lobbyist friends you have. You show up and tell our body what are the top three investigations that you are going to start out of your committee and what are you going to do to expose the truth about November 3rd, about January 6th, about the Wuhan Institute of Virology, about the involvement of the squad and other Democrats in Congress in the riots that burned and harmed our country during the summer of 2020. And if we do that, we will actually connect the pain that our people are feeling right now with the failed policies, corrupt actions, and criminal activity of the Democrats who are destroying our country. That's my vision. Don't just tell people, oh, give us the majorities. Actually lay out a plan for oversight. What do you think? I, I think it's a terrific idea, and I think it's a wonderful beginning. Uh, and, I, and I would hope that Kevin uh, McCarthy uh, would uh, make it happen because it is exactly uh, the opposite, I'm sure, of what he is thinking. Uh, we, we have enough rhinos in Congress uh, to populate uh, you know, most of the seats on, on the Democratic side. Uh, there are too many Republicans who are Republicans in name only. They're not conservative. They're embarrassed that the 45th president of the United States uh, actually said America first. That seems so parochial in the minds of these broad globalist elites of both parties. Oh, how could you say America first? Well, fools, if it isn't America first, who is first? China? Russia? Where's your thinking? We'd like to hear it, but they won't be straightforward. We know on Wall Street it's China first. We know on Wall Street it's whatever market uh, they want to send capital to this week. Meanwhile, our own markets, which are behaving badly, could use a stable, constant supply of capital uh, so that the, uh, the most secure markets in the world could prosper and their investors and the American people prosper along with them. This is madness what we are watching happen because of what the globalist elites, whether they're in finance, Wall Street, corporate America, U.S. multinationals, uh, or heretofore domestic U.S. manufacturers that decided it was a brilliant idea to ship jobs and plants and factories overseas to cheap foreign labor markets. It is, you know, everyone talks about supply disruptions, uh, chain, uh, supply chain disruptions. It, it, it's very simple. They're making stuff overseas and it's very inefficient and expensive to get that stuff back here. There would be no disruption if those plants, those resources were in this country where they belong but uh, corporate America and uh, both political parties uh, facilitated the export of all of that capital, all of those great middle-class American jobs overseas. Your thoughts? Republicans have to embrace the economic nationalism that was successful. And, you know, every time we say that, people call us fascists. There's nothing improper about wanting our country to be productive and to be self-reliant. Uh, for too long, you're right. Politicians in both parties sold the Chimerica dream, that if we only brought China closer to us, they would be more like us. The reality is the middle class in this country has grown poorer, while the middle kingdom has been enriched. And in the meantime, uh, we've become less safe, less secure, and the elites are just fine with American decline 
so long as they get rich in the process. But and that's really the core of it, the corruption. And, and you know, take, for example, uh, in my strategy to convert every committee to an oversight committee, the Education and Labor Committee. One of the first investigations that I would launch out of that committee would be into the Biden Center that existed at the University of Pennsylvania, where they broke the law in accepting anonymous Chinese Communist Party linked funds to give to the very people who are now working in the Biden foreign policy apparatus. You know, that should be investigated. We shouldn't just say, well, let's go and do a feisty little education bill. You see, Paul Ryan had a strategy when Obama was president that we should just pass a bunch of bills that Obama will veto, and then we can claim the moral victory about having forced a veto. You know, that didn't work, and we lost trust because then Paul Ryan was unwilling to put the exact same bills that he put on Obama's desk on President Trump's desk because then we were dealing with live ammo. And so people don't trust that anymore, Lou. And so I don't, I don't want a legislature, I don't even want a Republican majority built around the notion that we're going to work with Democrats on these bills. We have to conduct the investigations. And by the way, let's, let's name names on this podcast. We always name names uh, before when we had our conversations. That's right. John well, by Pacho, the way, John, nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. <laughs> That's right. Well, well, John Katko of New York you know, is a Republican in name only. He should not be the Republican leader on the Homeland Security Committee. I mean, you ask the question, like, will Kevin McCarthy hold the Democrats accountable? We won't even hold the Republicans accountable today. <laughs> you explain to me any justification for why this man who voted for impeachment, who voted to put Steve Bannon in contempt, who voted to strip Marjorie Taylor Greene off of her committees, who voted for the January 6th commission, who voted for the, Bi the Biden infrastructure bill. Why is that man the Republican spokesperson on any issue, especially something so important as the border and homeland security? It is a shrine to the failure of our leadership that he has not been removed from that, from that post. And uh, will likely get a promotion uh, if Kevin McCarthy has his way. Now, I like Kevin McCarthy, I have to say. But I sure don't like his rhino ways, and I sure don't like the fact that he is not standing strong and uh, animated in his leadership uh, for the for the Trump policies uh, that are proved uh, to have been the correct policies, and the and the simple two word slogan that defined his presidency: "America first. You see Republicans, rhinos, uh, and moderates alike running from America first, for crying out loud. How can we possibly expect the Republican Party to prosper, broaden, and grow if they're afraid of America first, for crying out loud? It's about the money, Lou. And you, you've always called it out. There are special interest groups, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, a group that fights for everything except the U.S. and her commerce, the Business Roundtable, the think tanks that do no thinking, but that, you know, have lobby, have, you know, all kind of lobbyist connections that fuel campaigns. And, and the big, let me take you behind the scenes. The big worry in the Republican conference meetings is that the woke corporate PACs have held back some of their money and are not giving it to Republicans who are still talking about issues like election integrity, which, by the way, is still very important in our nation. And so all the strategy sessions are about how do we get back in the good graces of the lobbyists and the special interests and the PACs. And one of the things 
that those entities are demanding is to surrender the America first mantra. And don't don't be talking about restricted trade and restricted immigration and, you know, uh, having fewer wars abroad. You know, we, we, the, and, the special God interest forbid, in Washington and, benefit. And God forbid tariffs, more tariffs. Meanwhile, yes. the current account uh, uh, deficit just rose to levels uh, not seen in uh, the past uh, 15 years. We have a all time record high trade deficit in this country. Uh, the exact opposite of what President Trump was trying to achieve, which is something that, you know, you would think those fancy economists sitting at Harvard or Yale or uh, Stanford uh, would be considering uh, kind of important, balanced international trade. But the fools are so committed. Uh, the academics who would otherwise be writing scholarly papers and, and providing independent, objective, informed judgments on economic policy are instead under contract to corporate America, to the think tanks that are <laughs> funded by oligarchs. Uh, it, it goes on and on. The middle class in this country has less of a chance right now of prospering than at, well, Donald Trump was the best chance, and that chance has been removed. Well, I think that, look, I mean, you know, you, you speak to the former president uh, frequently. I do as well. He is not unplugged one bit. Uh, he is so dialed in to the politics and policies. Uh, and really, he's making his game plan for a return to power. And he's already influencing a lot of the candidacies and campaigns of people who want to shape the Republican majority in that America first image. I mean, the, the most powerful endorsement in American politics today is still the endorsement of Donald Trump. He has to use it wisely. And it's my hope and expectation uh, that, that he will in those circumstances. But Lou, I've taken a lot of heat from the media for suggesting that maybe the person uh, we ought to nominate for speaker, if we take the majority is Donald Trump. You know, I'd, I'd uh, even if it was for like 20 minutes, even if he just got up there, took the gavel from Nancy Pelosi, gave a speech, set the agenda, and, and got on the next flight back to Mar-a-Lago, uh, I think it would be significant. But look, I mean, th there's nobody else in our movement that really is the leader, right? I mean, we, we see great things out of Governor DeSantis in Florida showing how this agenda can actually help people's lives. But in He's Washington, done a terrific DC, job. I mean, yeah. Oh, fantastic. But I mean, we look at Washington, and by the way, <laughs> DeSantis and I were usually back-to-back -back guests when he was in Congress on your television program, but uh, you know the the Washington D.C. based Republican Party is not America first. Okay, it is lobbyist first too frequently, and that's what we've got to change. You know, I try to tell my colleagues if you'll just do these things that we talk about on the campaign trail, economic nationalism, fighting for our people, you won't have to raise as much money from the special interests because you won't have to be explaining dumb votes. Lou, give me some advice. I, I'm the only Republican in the whole Congress who doesn't take any money from political action committees or lobbyists. I find the whole thing disgusting. You know, I will, I will win or lose based on what actual human beings in America choose to contribute to me. And folks can go to MacAids.com to help me out. But what would you say, Lou, to colleagues who say, well, gosh, Matt, we've got to go back to the ways of the establishment because that's where the money is. Yeah, I would say they're fools, and, and, and they obviously are not paying any attention to history and miss the uh, import of the four years uh, of the Trump 
presidency. This is an opportunity to to right wrongs, to right the state, uh, the, the ship of state, uh, to do all of the things that we should have been doing over the course of 30 years. Come to terms with the fact that we're getting out hustled, out beat. We've got idiots in the and the general staff of the United States military that are more worried about CRT than they are about winning, whether it's Afghanistan, whether it's Iraq. And it's about time everybody understood this military has been its leadership uh, has been an abject failure. Uh, and and so people, are afraid, people are afraid to say that we have great young men and women who make up the military but they deserve far better leadership, and so does the nation. Uh, it, it's, it's disgusting to think of the, what has been squandered over the last uh, uh, 30 years uh, by the military, by our civilian leadership with these uh, adventuresome uh, wars uh, in, in third world countries. And good Lord, to come home uh, you know, with our tail between our legs um, after 20 years in Afghanistan is disgusting. What, what Biden did was he, he boggled, blundered through a surrender. He couldn't even do a surrender right. It, it, it is so tragic that the Biden administration believed the lie that there was an Afghan government that was going to be there to facilitate you know, uh, future departures of Americans and the maintenance of military materiel. The reality was that was always a fiction. That government was always going to fall. And frankly, politicians from both parties lied to the American people. And Donald Trump was the one that told the truth. And, you know, there for all the criticism of Donald Trump's foreign policy, you know, we didn't start new wars. Russia wasn't invading any other countries. We kept North Korea at bay. We got tough with Iran. It really was an era of great foreign policy success. And now that's being totally reversed. Now, Lou, I represent the district in Congress. It's got the highest concentration of active duty military and veterans. And, and it, t- it gives me no joy to report to you that I've never seen morale lower in my life. Uh, right. I see the vaccine mandates um, really causing people to think that their faith is illegitimate when they apply for a faith-based exemption. The United States military has not granted one faith-based exemption. Um, that's demoralizing to people. The white supremacy stand downs, as if the big problem our military has is that people are, you know, uh, evil to one another based on the color of their skin. That becomes very divisive, very corrosive. And then, of course, uh, Afghanistan. I mean, the number of global war on terror suicides and uh, drug overdoses that occurred uh, following Biden's calamitous withdrawal uh, really, really. Uh, struck at my heart, and and I know yours as well. Uh, There are a lot of people in Congress who don't like to push back on these woke generals. You know, they walk in with all their military regalia on, and the sense is you shouldn't ask them any tough questions. But I went after Mark Milley and Lloyd Austin in the Armed Services Committee for what they did with China, what what Milley did with China, especially. I mean, Lou, I mean, you you focus on the China threat, uh, and you think about it a lot, I mean, what, what was your reaction to the chairman of the Joint Chiefs going and speaking with his counterpart in China and taking American first strike off the table? We're lucky he didn't start World War III. Well, he should, in, in my opinion, have been court-martialed uh, on the spot. 
And instead, of course, the left-wing bring uh, nincompoops in corporate media did nothing but support him. And Biden, of course, applauded him because he's like-minded. Uh, it, it's interesting, isn't it, that you know the, the boogeyman is Vladimir Putin. And we are the ones encroaching on, in point of fact, uh, in Eastern Europe. Uh, one can understand why he could uh, use that as at least a, uh, a discussion point that we are uh, subsuming uh, influence uh, with Poland, uh, with Eastern Europe. And at the same time, we, we talk about uh, the, the boogeyman of Putin as President Xi is taking over the South China Sea, extending his exactly. influence, preparing to, uh, by all, uh, nearly all accounts of, from China hands, preparing to be in a posture to take over Taiwan. Uh, and the mindlessness of the national security establishment uh, is really born in one thing. And we go back to your word. It's money. It is the interest of Wall Street. It is the interest of corporate America, who still, for all the experience we've had, want to go over and sell $1 a profit uh, into China. Just sell one product that gets a dollar a profit, they'll have a billion four dollars. I can't tell you how many CEOs run <laughs> have spewed that kind of nonsense over the years. And here we are with our biggest trade deficit. It's perpetual. We're talking trillions of dollars that have been lost to the American economy because we have become a dependent, a dependent satellite of a communist nation. Now figure that one out. Well, you, you totally nailed the frame. You know, Russia is not our friend. They engage in malign influence all over the globe. But Russia is not an existential threat to the United States or our people or our economy. China is. And increasingly, the pro-China Joe Biden foreign policy establishment is trying to do everything to turn away from China and to really engage in you know, Russia and Eastern Ukraine. And when they're asked just basic questions about how people in Eastern Ukraine feel about Russia and what the real impact is to Americans, uh, their answers are very lackluster. If there's yeah. a challenge in Europe, you know, I think Europe has a, a role to create stability on, on their continent. But Absolutely. The, the, linkage, the linkage of Russia, the greatest producer of energy, to China, the greatest consumer of energy would be the big threat. And that's what we've got to keep our eye on. And, and everyone in Washington is trying to distract away from that, that very reality. And that reality, it's as if uh, our national security establishment and the leadership, the global elitist uh, leadership of both parties uh, can't comprehend the depth of the threat posed by China. Uh, hypersonic missiles. They now lead the United States and Russia in development of mm -hmm. highly effective hypersonic uh, nine, Mach 9 plus speeds able to deliver a warhead, uh, uh, well, right uh, anywhere in the world with uh, just a couple of hours flight time. It's really stunning stuff. And meanwhile, the U.S. military is saying, you know, I don't know how they did that. That was really amazing. And the fact of the matter well, yeah. is, the fact of the matter is, it's based on U.S. technology from 2000 that the Clinton administration 
chose not to fund. It was that simple. And as a result, now here we are 21 years later, and we are uh, deficient uh, in uh, hypersonic technology and weaponry. Yeah, while the United States is still researching hypersonic weapon systems and developing them, China is actually fielding them. Exactly. And we can get a whole lot of things right, but if we get wrong how to protect our country from low Earth orbit hypersonic munitions that have global strike capability, uh, we will not save America. We will not ensure prosperity for the next generation. And what is frustrating is that, you know, when, when you look at what China's top military leaders spend their time doing, you know, they are trying to have global domination, strategic assets, upgraded technology. Meanwhile, in our military, you know, we've got our top advisor to the president wondering how to get more in touch with his white rage. You know, we have hours and hours and hours of mandatory training for our service members about how to think about gender and transgenderism. You know, I mean, is this really the role of our military? I thought the role of our military was to protect our country, to win wars, to stop other people from killing Americans and harming our interests. And instead, it's become this woke social experiment. And, and the problem there, Lou, the real problem is that it impacts the next generation of military service members. Yeah. I've already seen the impact with the people who apply for military academy service nominations for members of Congress. And I don't want to see a world in which people who are patriotic or liberty-minded or independent thinking feel unwelcome in our nation's military because we need our military to be one of the strongest and most capable institutions in our government. What do you oh. think about how these policies are reshaping the recruitment and the pipeline into the military. Well, the other part of it is uh, you're exactly right. But what about our military academies? Uh, based on uh, the accounts that I'm reading uh, and, and with uh, a few conversations I've had uh, with representatives uh, of uh, one of the academies, I, I mean, they're trying to pretend that they're MIT or uh, an Ivy League school with like a social uh, focus, uh, with a, a woke uh, interest. Uh, it, it's nonsense. They're not being, you know, they have entire curricula that are devoted to creating warriors. And what, we're, what we are putting out in many instances uh, are, you know, innervated clerks who are trying to be socially and politically correct rather than the finest warriors they can be. The educational curriculum uh, at uh, those institutions needs to be, uh, I think, examined carefully and, and to understand the atmospherics that have been created in our academies because they aren't what they were 40 years ago. It's that simple. Yeah, yeah I mean, we actually went, we went through some of that curriculum. And I mean, there, there are classes like understanding whiteness. I mean, Lou, is that, is that something our military leaders need to really delve into is understanding whiteness. I mean, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about our military is that you got folks who go through the same kind of training, have the same experiences, build lifetime bonds with one another, and race has nothing to do with it. It has to do with love of country and unified patriotism. And then when you go into these elite groups and you start to say, well, you might be disadvantaged because you're not white. 
and you might be fragile because you are white and you might have implicit bias based on your you know uh structural deficiency and you start to slice and dice and divide and it's really what they're trying to do to our whole country sure you know i mean one thing we we liked about trump is that you know, make america great again right we're all in the same boat we all have to succeed we all have to do better as a country and that was even different than some of the other republicans remember carl rove would tell us that well there's a special message you send to a suburban person in this district and if you've got a left-handed lesbian eskimo they get a specific message and trump said no 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 we're all americans we have one message. We're going to build our country back to greatness for everyone. And that, that egalitarian invitation to people yeah. led to the realignment on the issues. And now I fear that the right and the left are too willing to kind of slice and dice and act as if the American experience is different for, for each of us. And, and it's not a shared experience. Exactly. Well, it, it, the great thing to me, about this country has always been its egalitarian heritage, culture, tradition throughout. It becomes more egalitarian as we evolve and create a, uh, an even greater America. But we're, we have people walking around as if there are some, I mean, the mindlessness of those who will take seriously academics or whomever that want to judge 1820 by uh, 2021 standards. It, it is silly. It's an intellectual disaster. Uh, and they should be forfeit their standing in any university if they indulge in that kind of crap, because it is really mindlessness that we really don't need in institutions of, quote unquote, higher learning, even though there are more about, uh, in too many instances, indoctrination than education. Well, and, and I'll brag on Florida. We've had an anti-China initiative in our universities. We've been working to highlight those programs that work for the Chinese Communist Party's interests, not our interests. And uh, we're, we're trying to de-wokeify some of these universities that spit out anti-American hate. Uh, and uh, there was recently a circumstance at the University of Florida where Governor DeSantis got involved to ensure that our state's values were reflected in the education uh, there that, uh, that students were receiving. And there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone acts like we have to hold up these universities like they're, they're entirely independent of our society and government, and they're these freestanding nodes. That's nonsense. You own those universities. The American taxpayers pay for them if they're public better universities. Tuition pays for them. So we have a say in this. We don't have to just sit back and take it. We can actually exercise some agency in shaping the future in a positive way. And God bless the parents in, in public school board meetings who are saying, we're going to take, uh, we're going to take charge here. We're not going to put up with the NEA, the Federation of Teachers and all of the union nonsense, which are frankly just the conduits for uh, critical race theory, for all of the woke nonsense that is being bloviated through public education and higher education as well. Uh, and actually, it's spread to now to uh, HR departments and corporate America, uh, to government, uh, 
just as... Well, do you mean parents or domestic terrorists, Lou? Because you know that we've now got exactly. a national security division, uh, you know, in the highest levels of our law enforcement that says that if a parent loves their kids and shows up and wags their finger in the face of a school board member, that they could be facing a threat tag. And I mean, that's very serious. I don't think this story has been reported enough. Uh, because I agree. It, 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 it's the infrastructure for them to tag all of us and to deplatform us from the financial world, from the digital world, from the political world. It's very scary stuff. It's very serious stuff. And I, I want to say something that I hope everyone listening will pay attention to the, this one thing. We have fellow Americans who now are afraid to speak their minds. We have fellow citizens who are frightened of saying uh, what they think about critical race theory. They're frightened of talking about wokeness uh, in some of the complete madness of it all. And when we have a country that is now constrained in, in exchanging ideas, expressions, opinions, and views, this shouldn't be just the purview of uh, uh, a, a podcast, whether it's yours or mine, Congressman. This should be the purview of every home, every neighborhood, every community, every city in this country. And it should be, there shouldn't be these uh, artificial uh, constraints placed uh, on, on American citizens, because let's be clear, this is an attempt at mind control. This is an attempt at controlling language. This is an attempt to control thought. And it's gotta be stopped and it's gotta stop now. Well, let, let me ask you to diagnose this, because there's two different different schools of thought on the Republican side. One is that they were trying to secretly tag parents and they got caught with these terrorism labels. Right. Uh, the other school of thought is they actually wanted to get caught doing it because it's part of a bigger plan to chill speech and to send a message. Well, maybe you haven't gotten engaged yet and mad enough to show up at a city hall or at a, at a America First gathering, or at a school board meeting, but you know we want you to know that we've got these tags out there. So, do you think they were busted, or do you think it's all part of a grand plan to chill speech and political activity? Well, I think that the Democratic Party, the left in this country, the Marxist left in this country, let's say it the way it is, are all about trying to stop free speech, free assembly. They're trying to strip the Bill of Rights from the Constitution. It's that straightforward, and it is a purposeful act of wherever uh, wherever it takes place. There are, there are no it accidents. It changed so fast. It changed yes. so fast. I mean, wasn't the left in this country the ones that said, no matter how weird or bizarre your comments or speech or performances, we're here uh, to embrace you know every bit of it. And you know the right was a little timid about some of the uh, some of the absurdness of the speech that Democrats were protecting. And now it's like, man, they, they seem victimized by, by speech, right? Like speech has now been converted to violence. You know, it's, right. your speech can be violent against me. No, it can't. It's just words. If you don't like it, speak back. Uh, yeah, but th now, think about this. Black lives matter. Okay. What is the, you know, do white lives matter? Can you ask that question? Can you say yeah, I thought they all, all lives matter? No, you can't. In many schools, in many parts of this country, you can't say that because, I mean, it, it just madness ensues. 
and people are scared to death. Well, let me tell you, all lives matter. And if, if that is a radical statement, then we are in deep, deep trouble. And yes, I'm suggesting we're in deep, deep trouble. I, I want to turn to the January 6th uh, committee uh, and, and its investigation, which basically has nothing to do with those detained as a result of the riots uh, on Capitol Hill on January 6th. Uh, and I, there's so little outcry, so little uh, attention. Talking with uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, uh, she talked about a visit that she and Louis, Congressman Louis Gohmert uh, made to the, to the facilities. It was hair-raising. Why is there not more attention being paid to what the, the Democrats are doing? Because our leadership has told us to stop talking about the January 6th detainees. They've said, you know, th this is something we shouldn't uh, be advocating for or discussing because we don't know the specifics of any of their cases. And to me, that misses the point entirely, right? I mean, we're not anybody's lawyer, but we should be for every single American having access to counsel and due process and medical services and religious services. And when there are people that are being treated differently, not as a result of their criminal offenses, but as a result of their politics and, and the need to sort of maintain them as some grandiose threat to the American Republic, well, that should concern us all. And we just shouldn't leave people behind, any people, when it comes to the, the benefits and the rights that undergird our Constitution. I mean, the madness, again, of all this is your leadership is telling you not to talk about it, but you could... We, we, we did, we bent over backwards. Radical Islamist terrorists get more due process than some group of Americans who were rioting on the, on Capitol Hill and may be accused of uh, e even greater crimes. I don't care who they are. They deserve due process. These are American citizens. And that means your leadership is giving the field to the radical Dems who are saying and doing whatever they want without recourse or response. I, I mean, that's horrible. That's horrific. We, we, weakness is not a winning strategy, you know, and, and we cannot allow the left to set the frame on, on these issues or frankly any other, but, but that's going to be their alpha to their omega uh, is January 6th. And, you know, the, the uh, troubling thing now is that the media is so willing to take these really, uh, I think, virtuous text messages uh, to Mark Meadows and from Mark Meadows and right. actors that there's something wrong about them. We, we should have been talking to Mark Meadows about election integrity and investigations that needed to be pursued and the people at the Department of Justice who were blocking legitimate investigations into voter fraud. I mean, I was getting reports even from Florida that the Department of Justice was, was, was throwing a wet blanket over real investigations with real evidence where Democrats were trying to falsify vote-by-mail request forms. People and watching, when we learned that... I'm sorry, people watching television on election night, they watched what happened in Wayne County. They watched what happened in Fulton County. They watched uh, you know, elections being called while long lines of voters were outside. They were watching as people were complaining about in Philadelphia. There were no Republican poll watchers. And the list goes on and on and on. 
Does all of that rise to changing the outcome of the election? Perhaps not, but perhaps. The, the odds are against it, but there is still a perhaps. It deserves investigation. That's all I'm saying. Anomalies, irregularities. And how is it that the President of the United States can warn everybody for months on months that these changes in election laws are going to create an opportunity for electoral fraud and nothing happens. His Justice Department doesn't do anything. His political organization doesn't do anything. The Republican Party doesn't do anything. And then all of that washes over the election of 2020. Well, we had the better candidate. They, better, they had the better operational plan. You, you, can't, you can't dispute that. I mean, we need to take a page out of the book of Barack Obama and Eric Holder on this, because when they left power, they went right to work putting their most talented operatives and assets uh, in supervisor of elections positions uh, as secretaries of state on canvassing boards. And frankly, we were so excited about sharing the America First joy at a traveling carnival show known as the Trump campaign, where we went from town to town and right. brought together tens of thousands of people. And uh, what we didn't do was, I think, that legwork. And, and a lot of that falls on the Republican Party. And we have to change those tactics to give people confidence that we value their vote. I mean, there are a lot of people who think, well, gosh, the Republicans didn't even fight for my vote to make it count, to make sure that it wasn't diluted by illegal immigrants or people voting illegally or mail ballots that were just filled out. Uh, and, and so why should I give them something that I value if they don't seem to value it? And, and that's, a, right. that's a trust we have to rebuild. And if we don't take that seriously, in a lot of these close races that we need to win, we may come up short. So it's very important. Yeah, and you're making a very important point. I want to spend on it very quickly, and then I want to turn to some of the tactics that have been employed against you. Uh, the, the idea that the Republican Party should not be taking the lead in understanding what happened in 2020, in taking action to correct those election laws as a party, as the Republican National Committee, as the Republican Party, uh, and the political apparatus of the party shouldn't be making certain that there is electoral integrity and that there will never be a repeat of that again, no matter what the cost, how many lawyers you have to put in the field uh, and how many candidates you have to screen. But it needs to be done from the local level uh, all the way through the federal. And because I think the American people were so dismayed by what they witnessed and the way they felt at the end of that election that I don't know that they'll ever give a Republican a vote again if they don't think he or she, their candidates, aren't serious about making sure they don't, uh, they don't see a repeat of 2020. I want to turn to, I want to, turn to the, uh, you're under in, uh, federal investigation, uh, so it is reported, uh, and you are now in, engaged in defending yourself. Where do you believe all of that started. I believe that the lies that were told about me and endlessly retold by the media uh, were rooted in an effort to extort my family. Uh, that's not a conspiracy theory. Someone has pled guilty to trying to extort my family. Uh, and it was you know, a, a very uncomfortable endeavor to go through. I know that there are people at the Department of Justice who uh, would love nothing more 
whether it's legitimate, illegitimate, factual or not, to try to pin my scalp to the wall. Uh, and I know there are probably some good folks out there that work for the FBI and Department of Justice around the country and around the world that are, that are patriots, that are doing the right thing. Uh, but there is corruption at the head shed. We've pointed that out over the years. Uh, and it's my hope to continue to clear my name, but it certainly feels uh, vindicating in part um, to have someone pleading guilty to spreading these lies about me. Uh, and and really also the, the great work of Project Veritas. I, I think when I pass along, I'm going to leave Project Veritas in my will um, because they actually got on-camera footage of a CNN producer essentially saying that they were propagandizing my life, not because of the uh, the truthfulness of any of the allegations against me, uh, but because I was effective, because I'm conservative, and because I get in the way of the Democrat agenda. And that really uh, is, is what this has been all about for the media. And, uh, you know, I just uh, learned a lot from President Trump. You got to be a happy warrior. You got to keep fighting. And uh, you, never, you never allow the process to become the punishment. So is there any communication between your lawyers and, and the Justice Department over all of this? I mean, is there uh, this has been going on for months and months. Uh, what what is the the current status? Yeah, I, I don't know what I don't know, Lou, you know, and, and sometimes you just sort of feel like, you know, one smear effort runs into the other, you know, just about when they were done smearing Trump on uh, Russia, which was false and phony. They went right into Ukraine and, and hear now that uh, these allegations that were <laughs> anonymously uh, made about me nine months ago, uh, now that they have not resulted in a single person actually stepping forward to <laughs> accuse me of wrongdoing on the record, uh, they're trying to smear me on the January 6th stuff. I, I'm one of 11 lawmakers uh, who has had their phone records put under a preservation demand by the Department of, I'm sorry, by the January 6th committee. And uh, and so it's my expectation that that these uh, these efforts to deplatform and smear don't ever really begin or end. They just change form. Uh, and and I get the sense with uh, what they're doing to Jim Jordan right now, what they're doing to General Scott Perry, congressman from Pennsylvania, what they're doing to Marjorie Taylor Greene and myself. It'll all be kind of wrapped up in this next endeavor. And Mark Meadows, uh, you know, it's oh sure. It's it is it's appalling. Uh, give us your judgment about how how you think this will uh, wrap up in your own case. Oh well, I mean, I I've been very clear that the thing, I did not do the things I've been accused of, and like it's it's verifiable that I haven't. I mean, the right. accusation that I brought someone across state lines and traveled with them for illicit purposes. Uh, you can actually review records and see that that's completely false and and never happened, and so. I'm very confident in the ultimate result. I do know these people play dirty. I know they fight dirty. I mean, Lou, we live in a world right now where Rudy Giuliani, one of America's greatest crime fighters who cleaned up New York and defeated the mob, cannot practice law in New York State. Meanwhile, last week, the D.C. bar uh, gave the law license back to the FBI lawyer who altered evidence before a secret court in the Carter Page matter to smear Trump. So like, if, if you go after the left, they do everything they can to destroy you. And if you literally commit crimes to change evidence, uh, well, then you're rewarded uh, with the privilege to practice law again. So I, I'm not Pollyanna. I'm not naive about how vicious 
my opponents are uh, in the media and uh, in the deep state, but I'm also determined that the truth will prevail. It prevailed with Trump, and it'll prevail with me. Well, Congressman, I know if anyone can prevail, it will be you, and we wish you all of the luck in the world as you uh, take on the forces who mean to do you harm. Uh, We wish you the best of luck. Uh, We also want to thank you for spending this uh, hour with us here on the Great America Show. It's been, I think, a fascinating uh, discussion with, as I said at the outset of the contest, one of the Republican Party's brightest stars. Uh, You can see why he would annoy a few people on the left, can't you? Uh, A very effective spokesman for the party, the principles, and the country. Thanks, Lou. And uh, I look forward to being a subscriber and a regular listener to The Great America Show for all your fantastic conversations with guests, my friend. Thank you very much. And a reminder, Firebrand, that is Congressman Matt Gates' podcast. We recommend it to you highly. Congressman Matt Gates, and we also want to thank all of you for joining us today for The Great America Show. See you next time.